Good evening. So good to see everyone here in the middle of this week and to worship God together, to study from His Word. It's always a blessing to do that, and in the middle of the week, it's an especial, special encouragement to me to be with all of you. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 20. I have a few thoughts that we use John chapter 20 here, in verse, beginning in verse 24, to kind of base these thoughts around. Up to this point in the Gospel of John, we read about Jesus, his death, his burial, and even his resurrection. When we get to verse 24, we see Jesus is raised, he's been seen, he's given the apostles a mission. But we see in verse number 24... It says, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. If we take a second and think about Thomas... So often we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, and we, in a way, kind of look down on Thomas sometimes for his lack of belief here. You know, he should have been expecting Jesus to rise from the grave, but at this point in time, he's using very human logic to say we saw this man crucified. He is very much dead, very much in the grave, and he didn't believe. I think about that sort of attitude from a very logical, humanistic standpoint, and I know I've been there a lot of times. You know, from my logical human perspective, how many things in the Word of God, how many things about Jesus do I just, I'm almost hesitant to believe because I can't fully understand. So a lot of times, I'm Thomas. But going on in verse number 26, we read, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. It's kind of a very beautiful image of a compassionate Jesus here who came to Thomas and gave him what he needed. Thomas needed to touch Jesus' flesh to believe that Jesus was alive, and that's what Jesus gave to Thomas. Unfortunately, very, very few people got that opportunity. And the reality is, is we also are not those people. Yet Jesus talks about the blessing that those have who are not Thomas, who did not get to touch Jesus and feel the scars and the wounds. And he talks about the blessing they received because they believed having not seen. We read in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I have one slide to share with you tonight. 
It was something that, that um, actually came up just this week in a conversation I was having with my dad. But we think about this text, and we think about this circle here that we see on the screen. And everything that we have given to us is truth here in the Scripture. What Jesus, and we have recorded here in the book of John about Jesus, that is truth. Now there's two categories to this truth that we have today. We have that which is revealed and that which is unrevealed. There's things that are written in this book for the purpose of belief, but there's many other things that are not there. And anything outside of this circle of truth is error. It's wrong. The principle of truth that I think we see here is something that we can all learn from just in our view of Scripture in, in its entirety. We obviously do not have everything. Starting from the very beginning, we don't have everything. It's a very limited book that we have. Yet I'd suggest to you that we have enough. Like we see here about Jesus and His signs and His wonders and believing in Him, they had enough here in the book of John. In all of Scripture, we have enough. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, that His divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We have all that we need. And what we have is truly the inspired Word of God. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We think about this image of truth, that which is revealed and that which is not revealed. And I think back to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. The beautiful thing about what's revealed is what we have now is what's revealed for all men for the rest of time. That which is revealed is enough for us to believe. We have Scripture in its entirety as God saw fit to give us. And a lot of times we begin to have questions outside of that which is revealed and there's a lot of fun speculation. Ethan and I were talking just the other night about Jesus' life and we were talking about wouldn't it be kind of neat to go back and see how Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, spent time together? You know, what was it like when they were just, you know, at the end of a long day? What did they talk about? How did they act? How did they behave? We don't know. We don't know. But it's cool to talk about those things and kind of speculate and understand. But we just don't know. But we have what we need to know. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians gives a warning that I think is something that we all need to be careful about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the first few verses here, Paul's concerned about the brethren's faithfulness and in verse 3 he says but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ the message of the gospel being in Christ it's simple it's not easy but it's simple there's a singleness to it That which is revealed, we all have access to. We all have the same revealed scriptures. There's a singleness to it. We can come to the same conclusions because we've been revealed. The the same things have been revealed to us. He 
reminds them of the serpent and the temptation to Eve. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to think about that specific temptation. We know the story, so we aren't going to read it, but we know that in this creation, Adam and Eve were in paradise. An earthly paradise, but they were in paradise. They had access to a tree of life, something that, that prevented them from ever physically dying. They had one rule from God, and it was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Obviously, it was a desirable tree. We know how the story goes. The devil, in the form of a serpent, comes to Eve and says, you know, take of this fruit and eat. And Eve knows what the Lord has said. She says, well, the Lord has told us not to do that. But the serpent appeals to her, wanting to know more. Wanting to be like God and know those things which haven't been revealed. To know good and evil. And she tempt, he tempts her to take of the fruit and eat, and she did. And we see we're still living with the consequences of that sin now. Physical death was introduced. Separation from God we see in their lives is something that we all deal with today. Not because of them, because of our own choices. But physical death was introduced. There's pain and suffering that we see introduced as a result of these sins. We get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and we're reminded of the simplicity that's in Christ. We don't need to know everything. We really don't. But that which is revealed is enough. I'm reminded of what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 33. This is something Caleb Caleb George and I were talking about earlier this week too. You know, in the context of corporate worship, we see in verse number 33 that God is not the author of confusion, but the God of peace. What God has given us, he doesn't expect a confusing worship is really kind of what this is talking about. There's an orderly worship, but the principle about who God is, is the same. God has not given us a confusing message, but he's given us something which we can understand. We think back to Thomas and the story that we've been considering in chapter 20 of the book of John. He was able to physically touch Jesus and had an opportunity that very, very few of us ever, that none of us here have, but very, very few people of all time have had. But we're blessed because we can believe in that same Jesus, having never seen him, never touched him. We can still cry out to Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. As we wrap up this talk this evening, I want to consider just some revealed truths that are in Scripture. In Romans chapter 10, that's where I want to go first. Romans chapter 10. God reveals to us who has the opportunity to be saved. He tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If, if, for example, if, if 2 plus 2 equals 4 and 1 plus 3 equals 4, 1 plus 3 equals 2 plus 2. Okay, a little math there if you followed all that, right? God tells us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We think back to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, in verse number 16. Mark tells us who can be saved. 
or Jesus, Mark recording Jesus' words, says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. Who's right, Jesus or Paul? Well, they're both right. Calling on the name of the Lord is the answer of a good conscience, an obedient person coming to the Lord on his terms, to be buried in the watery grave of baptism, to rise up out of that water, raised to walk in newness of life. Another revealed truth in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the writer, the writer tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another truth is that God desires that from us. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we close, I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 22. If you're still following along in your Bibles, open up to the last page of Scripture here. Jesus at the very end here, says in verse number 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We drop down to verse 20. The writer here says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. The writer says, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming again, and we can have the confidence of this writer here to say, come on, Lord, we're ready. The invitation is offered tonight for those who may not be ready, who, who may need to come to the Lord on his terms and, and be baptized into his body. You can do that tonight if you've fallen short, if you need the prayers of this congregation. We're here for you, and we want to pray for you. If you have a need, whatever it may be, won't you please come forward now while together we stand and while we sing. When the